There we go. All right, so we'll pick up in John 8, uh, verse 48, and this will be the fourth part of, of this John 8 unpacking. Um, this is probably the shorter, shortest set of verses. I guess we, we just did the first 11 verses um, the last time. So, I mean, the first part. So this will be, the, be a short one. Um, but this kind of sums up, you know, the first part was, was about this, um, the woman called in adultery. And so it it had its kind of own little little section there, um, but then he begins to start a, a dialogue. Um, let me scroll up. This would be a point. I love I love this um, digital Bible, but this would be a point where where the paper book you just look to that part, that part, and that point would, would be a little better. But but in in verse twelve, the you know one of the things that is Jesus's um, his pattern is to say something shocking. Um, and the shocking things he say says, the more you ponder, the more you see the weightiness of, of what he says. Jesus had a way of saying something that had some kind of meaning, like in the in the right now, in the real moment or at the surface level. But then the more you think about it, it has a deeper and deeper and more eternal and, and fulfilling meaning. So for example, the first in, in the second part that we did in this unpacking, the, the statement he made was, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, will not walk in dark darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if you unpack that just a little bit, you know, it just seems like a, a, a statement um, about, you know, like if someone was to say today, I am the light of the world. That would be extremely, extremely odd. The world doesn't think like that. Um, and then, you know, Jeff had talked about some of the things with the festivals and stuff and, and a time without electricity and all these kind of things, um, lanterns and this. So all this would have had some sort of meaning to the original audience. But at any time, it would have been a, a, a peculiar statement. But he says, whoever follows me. So at this point, when you think about this conversation with the audience he's having, what was important to them is to have people following them, to have them have disciples. So he's kind of to this particular audience. Um, he's talking about whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So he's talking about, you know, kind of like this idea of y'all ought to come and follow me, come listen to my teaching. That was kind of territorial, you know, a territorial area, area, the people he was talking to. You know, everyone is trying to be the best teacher and they're wanting to have people want to follow them, want to join their um, their discipleship program. And um, and Jesus is very low key in all of this. He's not really out there looking to just go rob disciples from other people. He's just doing doing what he does or what he would better yet, probably what God has directed him to do as he kind of points out to them. But he makes this statement. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now he does this in First John too, but he at times connected connects light and life together, which I think is significant and worth pondering because I think it should come to you at first like this kind of peculiar because they're a little bit different things. But I think Jeff had mentioned some of this last week about light is really in terms. Light and darkness in, is in terms of seeing the truth and not seeing the truth. So if you're building your life on a lie, you would, you know, technically in a spiritual sense, be walking in darkness. 
Um, but also life, when we talk about the new birth, the spiritual birth, not just the fact that, you know, when you, when Jesus is saying you must be born again and these concepts of life, he's talking to a group of people that are living. When he talks about deaf or blind, he's talking to a group of people that can physically see and hear. Um, and so anyway, what I was going to say is if you're looking at these paragraphs and you're working through these paragraphs, like the next thing after after he says this one statement in verse 12, it says, so the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. So the direction they go is kind of, you know, he's making this statement about I am the light of the world. They don't unpack that. Um, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. Um, and then you'll have your life in you. So Jesus is saying about three things. They don't address none of those. They just say you are testifying, you know, um, you're testifying on yourself. So that's what's inter interesting about this discussion is you have sort of a, a misunderstanding um, with the two groups. A lot of times what Jesus says and the point he's speaking about and how they respond to it, if they, they sort of come out of left field or they go in, in a different direction. But I just wanted to point out that one in 12, he goes through witnesses and judging and different things in there that we did all that in part two. Um, but the other one I wanted to point it out is in 31, which we, I believe that was last week we talked about that, but it says, um, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you, tr you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, I would imagine that probably made some sense to them um, because there was this culture of um, finding of, of, of volunteering or wanting to be involved with a certain teacher because you felt him like he would take you to the place you wanted to be. Um, sometimes we do that in our culture, like we join a particular school. Um, but he's making a bolder statement than that when he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, and then their response was, was sort of odd. We talked about that last week where they said, we are all strings of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you can say that you're free? And he approaches that a couple of ways. One of the things is he has a conversation with them about sin. Um, Surely we probably need conversations with our local congregations in our day about sin, because I don't think people that are church today really understand the bondage that comes with, with sin. And we're talking, of course, of, as we've already been saying of spiritual bondage, but it is a bondage. It is holding us back. It, it's keeping us from having the life that we could have um, in Christ. Um, but, but I wanted to point out those two phrases and then we'll we'll see in today's text. Let me see. Get, get to forty eight. We'll see in this text that Jesus actually lives out what he was telling them to do um, to abide in his word. He gives us an example as we're walking through how he, he did his ministry. Is he he abided in God's word and he kept his word. And so anything that he's called us to do to find life and abiding and keeping his word. Um, he also did um, as the father was directed. So the first part here is in 48 um, to, to 50. Uh, we'll read those verses real quick. The Jews answered him, are we not right? And, and I guess if I backed up one line in 47, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. 
the reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. So here they're confused about the conversation. They're missing each other. He's saying something They're They're hearing something else. And he's basically telling them the reason you can't hear is because you're not from God. He had already dismantled their, their claims to Moses and the law of Moses. And he's saying, you don't understand it. You don't understand the tent of it. You're, you're not actually following it. You're disobeying it. And then they move on to Abraham. And he says, you, you, I know that in a physical sense, you're children of Abraham, but you're not in a spiritual sense because you're not acting like he did. You're not exercising the faith that Abraham did. And then he makes a statement. They say, we're not, we're not uh, born in sexual immorality. And, um, and he says, and, and they, they go up the notch. They, he's taken Moses away from him and he's taken Abraham away from him. And he says, they, they, they claim that God himself is our father, that, that, you know, and, and the same reasons, not just a genealogy, but no other nation had been called out by God himself. And they were of that nation. And so they had to be, um, be right. They were not out of sexual immorality. And then he begins to tell them the one you call your God is my father, but your father is not God. Your father is the devil. And he begins to talk about how the devil was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he's like, that's why you want to kill me because the spirit of the devil is, is essentially in you. And so he, he made that statement, whoever God hears the words of God, the reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. And so he is clearly, you know, always like to use that the analogy of airplane when I was a kid where the lady was having a panic attack and the whole airplane lined up to shake her. You know, he is shaking them and saying, look, you're not of God. Stop right there. You're building your house on a bed of lies. Um, and, and, and it's clear because my words have no place in you. And you, as I'm talking to you, you're getting angry, frustrated, and you want to kill me because you can't stand to hear the words coming out of my mouth. And that is a spiritual dark place that I'm trying to shed light on. And, and so he is truly telling them the truth and love because they are in danger of, of damnation and hell. And he is, is doing at this point, it's so serious that if he don't just look them in the eye and say, Stop it. You're, you're trusting and clinging to the wrong source. I am the, the right source. Turn and repent and look to me. He's, he's making that loud, bold, and clear. And so in this response, the one thing I love what John 7, 7 says, he's telling his brothers, he says, the world hates me because I tell it what it's doing is wrong. And, and I found that to be a true, true thing. Nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. And if you ever have to do it, if you ever are led or are in any way you tell someone they're wrong, their first response is something like, who do you think you are? Who are you? And, 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 and our flesh has a, an amazing ability to make excuses. There's no limit to the creativity that we'll come up with to justify our actions when we don't want to admit that we're wrong. So when, when someone says you are wrong, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's sort of all of this flesh, all these desires get going and it can be extremely wicked. That's why when we as believers were called to be humble, but that's why we're, when we're humble and we're not arrogant and we're not easily offended, that's good for us because it's the flesh that's when, 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 when we are um, told we are wrong, 
it's it's not the spirit of God in us, the new man in us that gets so upset. The new man is actually extremely patient. It is not easily offended because it um it it knows only God can judge. He's not worried about the judgment of man. It's not even worried about, like Paul had said, the harsh judgment of ourself towards us, because we can be very hard on ourselves. Some people can't. Um, but but the flesh is offended by judgment and 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 it will go to war over certain things. So anyway, they're at this point in, in our text. The first point is in 48. The Jews answered, are we not right in saying you are Samaritans and have a demon? Um, you know, he's you know, what's interesting is, is you could paraphrase this. He's already told them that they were of the devil. Um, I said last week, you know, I didn't really I've heard the phrase before. He's of the devil. You know, they just say that about people when they're when they're they're wicked. And we've always kind of in church life kind of laughed and joked about that. But I thought it was interesting that that Jesus actually told them they were of the devil. But 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 what we have is a back and forth here. We're not, it's like, you're of the devil. No, you're of the devil. No, you're of the devil. And they're, they're tug of war about who's from the devil and who's from God. But they're literally asking him the question. I mean, are we not right to say you're, you're some versions say they could have been actually just saying he's insane or he's crazy or he's a madman. Um, but they're, they're, they're actually asking the question. I mean, maybe another way you could say it is, is they could be saying, um, are we not right in thinking you're a nutcase, you know, um, but they're questioning the spirit and the resource of where he's from. And he answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And so at this point, you know, one of the things that I think we miss at times is, is uh, to us, if I, if I, if I asked you, we're all believers, we've been in church a long time. If I asked you, is um was jesus sent from god I'm, I'm sure all of us would confess yes to that and we wouldn't debate that um but jesus as i look at the, the the scope of um of john jesus keeps going back to this idea in a in a kind of um how would i say it he keeps coming back to this idea that i've been sent by god and so we've been talking about the matthew 16 um 15 verse where he looks to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And we've talked about how that's a different question when we're evangelizing about who do you say that I am is different than trying to, I'm going to use the word coerce or sell or hogtie people and try to, you, you not head, you need to make a decision for Jesus. When you do that, when you try to sell Christ and you go and you say, look at what Christ did in my life, you need to, you need to do that so he can do that in your life. And we just begin to try to maybe even shame people. Like well, if you don't give your life to Christ, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, it, when we shame people, that's, that's a selling of, of, of Jesus and of the gospel that is different than asking people, what do you think about Jesus? Why do you think that about Jesus? And so the difference is, is when you're building your faith in Christ and on Christ, it needs to come from you knowing something about Christ and understanding who he is. And so even in G Jesus could have plainly just said, I've come from heaven. I've been sent by God and I'm awesome. Like he could have done it that way. 
but he spoke in a way that had power and authority. And remember, they asked him, where did he get this teaching? Where did he learn to do this? How does the man do all these signs? And so all these things was like, this guy's kind of awesome. How does he do that? You know, and, and all of that was kind of I, I did like a Scooby Doo there huh? <laughs> with the voice. But all of these things was was drawing them to say, who is this guy? And the, and the answer, if they were in their scriptures and they were humble for the Lord, was like it would have probably started off, I think he might be from God. And then he might be the prophet. And he, he, you know what? He could be the Christ. Does the leaders know that he's the Christ and they're kind of holding us hostage, you know, and don't want to reveal it yet? Like they started to have that pondering because as they looked, to hope where only hope comes from to the God that they knew at the time. And now God is in flesh and is revealing himself in a way that he had promised of old that he would do. And they're like, this is it. You know, when you look at the, the gathering of the disciples, you know, you see, if you've ever watched any kind of movies, you see sort of this picture portrayed that there was an excitement. Like when they would say, like go back to John one, for example, and they would say, um, we found the one that the prophets of old had spoke about and like, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see, you know, a lot of times they use that language, come and see. Um, and so there was this excitement there. And so these, 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 these little remnant of people started to say, I believe he's from God. I believe he's a messenger from God. And, and so he's walking through it in a way that even when we read it today, we can get to that point that we can see how Jesus actually drew people to himself in his phraseology, in his words, um, that he didn't just come out and say, I'm God. He began to do signs and miracles. He began to teach in a way that was odd and peculiar. And it made people say, what are we going to do with this? What do we do with this? And it made them say, when, when Jesus asked that question, who do you say that I am? It made every individual that heard or saw him to answer that question. And, and what I think is interesting, I've been pondering this thought, is, is it, when you ask yourself when you got saved, you know, some people would probably say this, and maybe this is a possibility, but I don't think it's the norm, is did you just get, was the full work of salvation done in you in like a moment? Like, boom, I'm lost. Oh, Jesus, I understand him. Oh, I'm saved. Like, was it was it in a moment? And and my thing for you to think about is like a baby. We say that life starts at conception is our phrase when we when we talk about abortion. But my question is, or my thing for you to think about is that if conception of you is from the word of God, and so let's just say God sends a messenger to preach to you and he preaches, are you able to digest everything that preacher said and just microwave yourself into salvation? Or does when he speaks to you information about Christ and about the gospel of God and what he's done through his son for your salvation, does that, is that like a seed? And does that life start at conception, that spiritual life start at conception in you where it actually develops and grows in you, where you keep coming back and pondering 
what to do with Jesus for a period of time till you finally come to a point. He is God. He is Lord. He is the Savior of the world. So my point is, is when we're speaking the gospel or we're preaching the word, we never know when that preaching of the word or speaking the gospel actually conceives spiritual life in a person. And, and, and it may look like that it, it fell on deaf ears. It may look like they didn't hear anything, but, but I believe when people come to a confession, I would say more often than not, I, I've used the term or heard the term in the past that they've been wrestling with God. They've been contemplating God. They've been dealing with God. God's been chasing after them. The hound of heaven that was seeking them out. And I think that speaks to people trying to express and explain this time frame of spiritual um, in the womb where you're, you're, you're deal, you've heard the word conception has happened. There's life in you. There's new life in you. But it's you're like, what is this? What do I do with this? And at some point you realize I've been saved. I've been born again. You know, our, 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 and then you can confess a new Lord. You're still thinking you're in control, but you're like, I have messed this up. I'm a terrible Lord of my life. And you, you surrender your Lordship to the Lord that's already been working in you. Um, I guess that was a tangent. I'm sorry. Um, so my point is, is so what he's saying here in 49, he says, I do not have a demon. I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks it and he judges. So from what I understand here, he's bringing glory and honor. They're kind of the same thing, but he's, he's um, tooting, you know, we use the phrase tooting your own horn. They see him tooting his own horn. He's saying, no, I'm not tooting my own horn. The only reason I'm saying what I'm doing is because I'm being obedient to the father and the father's telling me to toot my own horn. If you, if you would, and, and so they're like, that's kind of arrogant, bro. You know, and he's like, no, it's not. I'm just being obedient to the Lord of Lords, you know, you know, our, our father in heaven, you know. And so and, and he's saying there is one that does seek my glory and it's not me. And that's just all weird. But that's, you know, we, we know enough to know that we can look back and say, OK, that's pretty amazing. So. I'm going to have to get something to drink. Um, I don't, I don't talk myself dry here, but what, what, what you guys got to say in the open opening thoughts in this first little section here, Mr. Mr. Wayne, I'll start us off. It's all you, Mr. Wayne, because they're, they're on mute. They're not even trying to come off of you. <laughs> the, the really neat thing is what just, what just you expressed without, I think realizing it is that when you read this, it, if you get the same feeling, wow, I do, I do recognize Jesus. You know, a lot of people say, well, if Jesus was standing right in front of you, would you recognize him or deny him? And when you know that you've been reborn and have the Holy Spirit in you, you know that you would recognize Jesus. And that, uh, that's what this, the purpose of this, uh, this, these passages. And it's something that needs to be, like you said, presented in the, presented to people in the, in the church seats. You know, how many of you are sitting here thinking you thinking you are who you are and not even realizing you're uh, of the devil and not of God, you know, but those of us who are blessed with the spirit, um, we, we would recognize Jesus if he would come back and speak to speak to us personally. Yeah. 
And see, I think why that's sort of important is, is I'll give you two resources. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 3, 3. It says, why are you trying to finish in the flesh what was started in the spirit? So you sort of create in that audience or that, that group of people in that conversation is you create a dynamic that someone has a move of the spirit and spirit. And they recognize this, this, that Lord, that Jesus is Lord of their life. And, and they, they walk in this newness. And so they, the Bible talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And so there's sort of a stewardship in that, but, but what he's showing when he says, why are you trying to finish in the flesh with start in the spirit is you're kind of talking about a group that put off the old man, put on the new man, in the excitement of getting to know the reality that you could have a new man, but somewhere along the journey, and I would say they were distracted by the devil. They were, they were told they, 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 they thought it was a good idea to put the old man back on. Um, so like sort of a similar situation is when God came and told Abraham that you will have the offspring, you will have an heir. And 10 years later, and that's a pretty long time. They're like, well, maybe we needed to help out God. And so they, you know, they do the Ishmael and the Hagar thing and they have a baby. Well, that would have been trying to finish in the flesh, their ability and power. What God's, I don't know if he necessarily started something in the spirit, but he said he would do something in the spirit. And the same way you see these, um, these Galatians kind of, kind of building the church, starting the church, ministering to their community in the spirit. And then at some point saying, Hey, I've got that. And I think that happens in churches today where we, we um we 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 try to do finish things in the flesh like out of um Romans 10 um when you look and 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 it's starting about verse 14 there's a order of sequence there um calling on his name and, and he asked this question he says how can they call unless they believe and so that shows kind of a, a different order than we normally do sometimes we think if we call then we'll believe and, and stuff like that but what he he says when you back that up is he says he talks about sin. He says, how can they hear if someone doesn't preach and how can they preach if they're not sent? Well, what he's saying there is not just that someone will get off their honey and go and preach. He's saying he's pointing about this point. They must be sent. And so there's a difference when you go in and minister to a place where God has sent you versus you just trying to be a nice guy for God. And you saying, well, that looks like something that needs to be done. So we shouldn't do ministry by just filling in blanks. We feel like should be felt. We should be compelled and called by God to go to specific ministries he has for us. And, and it sometimes when he calls us into a ministry, we um, don't feel in our flesh like we're qualified. And so he'll usually do that because he wants us to minister in our weaknesses so that we have to depend on his strength. And um, so he, he'll he call you. You'll have in the world, you'll have these strengths that you're real good at. And you'll say, well, I want to use my worldly strengths in the church. And a lot of times he will not allow that. But what but what you'll know where he's leading and guiding you in is, is you'll have this it goes back to the inner inner wrestling again is you'll have this tugging at your heart and 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 you'll just you can't stop thinking about it you'll say i think i need to to serve in this and you're like but i'm not qualified to serve in that and you'll try to talk yourself out of it but what'll happen and what'll be consistent is god will keep saying i want you to go forth here i want you to go forth there and at some point you're going to stop being a knothead and you're going to say yes lord send me i'll go wherever you go and you'll quit wrestling with god but the thing is is it's the spirit's words 
conceiving new life, conception starts with life in you that's stirring you into those those things. It's not, it's when we do something of the flesh, it's just an logical idea that we have. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's practical. We'll do that. But but if if we're not backed by the spirit of God tugging and leading on us, we won't find the strength to finish that race. And that will always be actually more damaging to the church and to you and to the community um, than if we would just be faithful to where God is has called us so i guess i've ran way off the track now um anybody else hey, uh yeah just kind of keeping it off the rails a little bit I, i'm reminded <laughs> i'm reminded of uh acts nine i've been reading about uh, saul's conversion and how ananias was told by the lord in a vision to go you know go to this specific street find this specific house you're going to find this man he's going to be uh, this is what he's going to be doing and Ananias answered back, but Lord, don't you know who this man is? Don't you know he's been sent to persecute the church and, you know, drag us all back to Jerusalem? And, um, you know, this that's that other wrestling that comes, like you say, you know, when God is, is calling you to something. But he was calling him to a hard task because Ananias was more than likely one that, you know, Saul was going to drag off. And, and he's like, no, I want you to go uh, minister to this man and lay hands on him. Um, but going back to the, the text and... Um, you know, whenever they said, uh, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan, which was just a, you know, a cut to them. You know, they, they didn't like Samaritans. That was considered a slur to them. Uh, so he's cutting them down. He's like, aren't we right in saying you're, ha you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Um, look how Jesus answered. He, he just said, I do not have a demon. Uh, he, and and I'm, I'm reminded of that scripture in, in 1 Peter. It says when he was reviled, he did not return and he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges uh, justly. And so here you see Christ, uh, you know, they're calling him names. They're calling him. He's demon possessed. And he just answers them very calmly. I don't have a demon. Now, he's going to spit some truth at him a little bit later saying, you know, you're of your father, the devil. And that's not saying that he's not doing that as an insult. He's speaking truth to them. Um, he's telling them exactly where their false religion and where their hearts are. Um, so I, I just thought that that was interesting. And then, you know, the other one um, in that same little passage, um, where is it? First 50. Yet I do not seek my own glory. And, um, and if you remember, uh, I think it was the, the high priestly prayer. He says, um, he was talking, he was speaking to the father and said, glorify me, um, return me to the glory that I had before the world began. Um, and so Jesus was in a position of glory before God sent him. Um, but he was sent not to be glorified here on earth, but to be humiliated. And so his, his attention was solely focused on what God, what God had for him to do. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think it's worth you you pointed that out. I think it's worth just saying that is is your new man is not offended by people insulting you and saying that you're wrong. Um, when you're abiding, what did it say earlier? If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. So when you know that you're you're with your heavenly Father and in and in Christ, and and that you are building on the firm foundation. When you know that you know that you know that. When people, when people say you're wrong, you just kind of have compassion for them. You, you're not offended. Like, you know 
that they would say ugly things because you once said ugly things about people that stood on the truth and on the word of Christ. And, and, and so your, your heart is not to insult them back, but to, to, to buckle down and to continue to try to speak insight to them so that they can be saved. And, and that's the thing um, I always used to say, like, like, I think we ought to tell people we don't like, if you don't think someone's saved, you ought to tell them. Like, like, I kind of feel that way. If most people disagree with me, but I still have always felt like, but my whole logic is, is if I tell you, I don't think you're saved. If you get offended by that and try to destroy me, you're probably not saved. But if I say you're not saved and you're like, okay, whatever, dude, <laughs> you know, and you're securing your salvation, you're probably saved. You know, I mean, there's just yeah. something about that. If you're easily offended, when someone challenges you, there says something about what what's going on inside of you. So, Mike or Shane, y'all didn't have a chance. Did y'all have anything? You know, I, I really don't have anything, Dennis. I, I know we've talked about a lot of different things, um, but yeah, maybe I'll I'll let you keep going and on the some commentary a little bit later on. Yeah. All right. So in in fifty one. Uh, that's we so we finished up um, there. So at fifty one, we read um, fifty one to fifty three. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So this just pausing for a second. This is a strange statement. I mean, like if you heard that today, what would it sound like? And I think it had to sit there. I mean, he's he's literally talking about you know in in his actual words, you know by keeping someone's word, by, by listening to the truth, you know, like in our world, we say, you have your truth. I have my truth. Well, he's saying, I have a truth I'm bringing to you that if you listen to it and you keep it, you will never see death. And they're like, wow, that's an amazing claim. And their response is in 52, the Jew said to him, now we know you have a demon. Well, now we know you're crazy. Now you, we know you coming from left field. Um, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. And then they give, they're going to give. This is the thing that I think I, I'm more and more realizing is that sometimes we have the religion of logic or the, or the um, authority of logic. And, and we think that we can refute people. Like when an atheist says, well, show me God and I'll believe him or, or whatever, or, or whoever, when they oppose the gospel or they oppose God or Christ, they feel like they've they've won the battle or the debate with logic. And so these guys have an extremely solid of this world logic argument. It's it's Abraham died. This is a real thing. Um, as as did the prophets. All, so they're they're like, I mean, we know at least 20 people that kept your word and died, you know, in a sense. And they're like, this is crazy. Like what you're saying. How can that be? And he and they say, Abraham died and did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? So this is a, like, if we're fair, this is an extremely logical argument. If all you know is the wisdom of the world, you haven't been seeking the face of God, you, you don't know that 
that the God you serve is all powerful and he can make a way where there is no way. And you're not thinking of that. And you don't realize that he's prophesied. He's going to send a final messenger. That's going to remember what's interesting is this is who do you make this out to be? Goes back to the phrase of the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan woman said, when he was talking about the water, he said, who do you make yourself out to be? Jacob made this well and he drank of it and it was good enough for him. You got a better well than that. So the same claim is coming back. He's making, I am greater than Jacob. I am, I'm trying to think of who we're, we're, we're talking about Abraham. I'm greater than the a Abraham. I'm greater than all the prophets. And they're realizing what he's saying there. Like they're not put two and two, two and two together that that would be the language of the Christ. Um, but they're realizing he, he's pretty much saying those guys are, are small stuff compared to what I can do and who I am. And, um, so I know we run out of time. Let me hit this next phrase. And we'll just discuss them all. Um, in 54, it says, Jesus answered, he's bringing back this glory and honor thing. He says, um, if I glory myself and my glory is nothing. If it is my father who glorifies me. So he's, he said this twice. I understand. I agree with you at a, at a logical physical term that if I talk all about myself and I give myself credit and talk about who I am, that that ain't, that ain't the way we've been told to do things. And I, ain't, but, but what I want you to realize, I'm not doing that. I'm speaking on behalf of my father. So the one that's glorifying me is actually my father, not me. And, um, and it, you know, and anyway, um, so, um, all right, Jesus answered, I glorify myself. My glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. And so he's speaking as a prophet on the behalf of God. And if he was really, if they were really serving God, they would know that the spirit that he's speaking from is the spirit that they worship in their in their quiet place and so he's saying you say he is our god so he's they're professing that he's god and and like you think about the the matthew 7 21 through 24 where he says many of them will come and say i did this in your name and did that in your name so they're confessors of faith but they're not possessors of faith um they don't have the faith of abraham um and so anyway, and then 55, so that's the so part three. This was the last one. Um, he's going to say, he says, but you have not known him. Talking about God, but I know him. Talking about God, Father. If I, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. So this is a, you know, you call it insult, whatever, but he is directly telling them, you're not of God. You don't understand Abraham. You don't understand Moses and you're a liar. And I'm not, you know, I'm telling you the truth. I mean, this is a hard conversation. If you really start thinking, if, if there was a way that someone had this conversation with you, you know, it, it just depends if you're, if you're ready to be saved, you, you could, you could say, yes, Lord, that's true. I, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sins. But if you're not ready to be saved, it's, those are fighting words. And you're like, it's on and, and, and your flesh is coming out, trying to crucify the one that's telling you the truth. Um, so where, where are we at? 56. So I'll just read the last little bit. Um, so we, the themes that we've, we've talked about honor and glory, that theme, 
Um, we've talked about the reality of death. Um, they said Abraham died, the prophets died. And so what we can see is the spiritual thing is that he was not talking necessarily about physical death. There's pictures like with Lazarus. What did he say Lazarus was? He said he was asleep, you know, because in Jesus terms, dying in this world is just going to sleep so you can move on into eternity. And the main concern is that when you move into eternity, you move into heaven and not into hell. That, that you move into a better place and not a, a worse place. Um, another one, when they challenged Abraham and he's and uh, they were they were talking about the the um, it was the Sadducees challenged him and they talked about the marriage and the woman married all seven brothers whose wife she'd be and he says your problem is you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God and he said God is not the the God of the dead he's the God of the living and so he's he spoke in terms that that even though Abraham Isaac and Jacob was dead and they had a tombstone on on this in this world they're not dead. And in Jesus's perspective, I know where they're at right now. And um, and I guess that is a great fitting about Abraham's not dead. And I know where he's at right now. And he's alive and well. Um, that's a great introduction to this last part is 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 this. Um, so there's death. What is death? And Jesus's knowledge about death. And do we know the God of living and power? Um, um, and so this last part is 56. Now. Father, or I'm sorry, not where did I get now from 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say that before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I put the key word here was time. Um, if you look at when he turned water into wine, the process that it would have taken to ferminate, you know, wine would have took a period of time. He he did that like the snap of his fingers. Um, he is in control of time. When you start looking at finite beings and and our our infinite and finite beings. Um, our deity and 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 just um, what's I'm trying to think of the opposite word there, but humans, non non deistic people. One of the things that that comes to to um, to the forefront with that is that a, a deistic be being is not bound by time. So when we say God is the same today, yesterday, and forever, that means he's always known everything. He's always had all power. He doesn't gain power. He doesn't lose power. He doesn't gain knowledge. He doesn't lose knowledge. That's what we're saying about that. And so in the same way with time, time is not like, um, like it is to us. For us being finite people and... Um, and and um and humans time is unfolding and so we have to deal with this time issue in this in this section and what i thought was interesting and and if you read my notes that i sent out um i thought was interesting is this question could have went two different ways they say um when he makes his statement your father abraham rejoiced that he would see my day he saw it and was glad I think the humble person would have said, how did he see it? Like that could have been a simple question. Like they could have come at him um, with a different spirit and said, interesting. How did he see it? Even if they didn't like him, they could have said, 
well, I need you to explain that one to me. You know, they could have had a different approach. So like someone that wants to learn, ask questions in a different way, but they got offended. So they weren't coming from people that, that they were clearly offended people. And it showed in the type of question they asked or the type of statement they responded to him. And they said, you are not 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And some of the commentaries say that 50 years old was sort of a kind of a, a status that you're a wise man. And so they were sort of kind of possibly claiming that you can't be a know-it-all. You're not even 50 years old. But at the end of the day, they're wrestling with something that that is involved in time. Um, I know we don't have the time to talk about it, but I'll give you one verse, Matthew 22, 42 to 45. And there's a lot of parables of that. But there's there's a situation where he asked them, how can David, David said to the Christ, or, you know, my Lord set of the side of his Lord, whatever, go read it, however it says it. But he's dealing with time and he's asking them this same question. Um, how can David, if the Christ is his son, how can he say that I seen my Lord say to, to his Lord or however it says, come sit at the right hand of the father? Um and that's the same dynamic. So it shows that a, a God is not bound by time the way we're bound by time. And that's something in understanding we have to, to wrestle with because it we have these examples. So they didn't they didn't know about that. They didn't think about that. They didn't ask the right questions. They were just their questions was first they were offended. They're like, oh, you're crazy. And then it says they picked up stones to kill him. Now, I know Jeff might have a comment if he jumps on here about the I am statements. This is the biggest of the I am statements. Um, there's about seven, and this one would make eight. But what we, we were doing this morning is trying to work through the paragraph before us, the text we had before us. And, um, and actually, there's still some I am statements to come in John. So I just I didn't feel led this morning to just do a big I am statement unpacking. But but that is that is an interesting thing. But but this is going back to our our whole um, Zoom call is based on the Exodus two passage of the burning bush on um, the Zoom campfire. Um, and, and that's where that statement was made. So I'm going to shut up and let you guys finish it, finish it out. Um, what do we think? What's our thoughts this morning? Hey, um, just. Uh on that on that i am statement um yeah it's you know remember john 20 31 why john saying why he wrote the book i think i said this last week too is you know so that um you may know who jesus is and knowing that he's the son of god and have eternal life and so all these times when jesus is pointing these jewish festivals proclaiming who he is you know and and john 7 and john 8 um John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. But here it's a big one. Like before Abraham was, I am. Like before Abraham even uh, it came onto the scene, um, he he repeats this Yahweh, Yahweh statement using the name of God. Um, that was important. And, and Dennis, like you were saying, you know, they could have asked questions like, well, that's interesting. You know, why, you know, explain this a little bit further. But the next verse, it says they pick up stones uh, to to kill him. And, um, you know, I, I think of the stoning of Stephen, whenever he hears the gospel, Dennis, you said it before. And, you know, the difference in Peter's sermon versus, uh, Stephen's sermon, 
uh, one of them, they were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? And then the second one, they, they screamed loudly, they plugged their ears and they picked up stones to, to kill Stephen. Well, it's the same attitude that they have here towards Jesus when he's proclaiming that he is God. Like they don't even want to hear his reasoning behind that. They just, they've heard enough and, and they're ready to kill him for it. Yeah, that's good. What you think? This, Again, Mr. This, uh, this whole chapter uh, was really a beautiful chapter of defining Jesus in his different aspects that he warns us about. And uh, the two things that I took away from the end of this chapter was that uh, um, he, he told of the, he told of the fact that told his apostles, I am not come to bring peace, but my, my word is a two-edged sword, and two-edged means a dividing sword. And he truly demonstrated that for those who will not know him or will not see him, he is a dividing. He is dividing the Jewish people between those who will not see God and those who will. And it shows his power there. Also, it shows that... Uh, when you shine light, don't expect people to be happy because they're so happy in their darkness when they don't see their faults. And when you shine light on their faults, they're going to resent you and, uh, and not see what they want. What they, they're only going to see what they want to see in the light. They think they're beautiful even because they live in the darkness. When somebody shines a light on how, how ugly they are, they're going to be offended. That's good. So like, like if you take that picture, separating the sheep from the goats, he's doing it by shining light on lies and calling them to the truth. And then by his words, his words are literally summer. He's making them make a decision about him. And some are, are saying I'm for, and some are saying I'm against, and it's just playing out in human nature. Like we asked, when we talk about those questions, they were either greatly offended and begin to to try to stone him and kill him or arrest him or whatever, or they they ask the questions like, "Whoa, that's heavy. I don't fully understand that." But but they humble themselves, you know. Mike, anything? Yeah, it wasn't until the kind of the end of this chapter that i realized that they were still in the temple so you know when they took up stone you know he, he exited the temple but can you imagine you know this conversation this isn't one out by the seashore but this is one and and their most holy place if you will and and yet he's claiming to be uh the i am uh it, i guess the the thing i was thinking about was uh, uh where it says Abraham rejoiced to see my day and, and he saw it, and, you know, although it doesn't go into great detail about, you know, what that meant. But I was in a Bible study the other night and, and we were talking about um, Melchizedek and, and it was amazing to see that uh, just a couple of the guys in that, in that Bible study had never really read that story or, or perhaps just kind of glanced over it. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that believe that that was a, a Christophany, if you will, you know, a, a, an existence uh, or an appearance of, of Christ in the Old Testament where um, he, he presented himself to Abraham and Abraham actually paid him 
a tithe of all the of all the spoils that he had just um, from the defeat of the king that he had just uh, went through. And we know in, in Hebrews, there's a, there's a passage in Psalms, and then there's a passage, a couple of chapters actually in Hebrews that talks about this um, Melchizedek, you know, the one without father, without mother, the one without beginning or end, just fits the perfect picture of of, of Jesus Himself. And you know, whether it was a type or whether it was actually him, I tend to lean more toward the fact that it was actually Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't show up at, on that first Christmas morning. He always was and always will be. Um, so, you know, as I just look at this, uh, the whole chapter that we've been looking at, reading, you know, I, I thought about the, the show um, Undercover Boss, you know, <laughs> like they are dealing with, the, the king of kings and lord of lords and they don't realize it and they're trying to justify their poor work ethic if you will you know they're just um they're going through and, and arguing with the one and and there will come a day kind of like on that show where the scenery changes he goes from his street clothes to, to his suit and tie again in our case he'll be in his robe of righteousness uh, you know King of Kings and Lord of Lords will his die, and and they will they will understand that one day, and so will everyone else that um, defends their self and in their sin. Yeah. Uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, if Shane daughter walked in, but if Shane wants to finish up, um, give him a minute. Um, I I thought you know one thing I thought is 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 this is a picture. I was thinking about what Mister Wayne said earlier. You know the whole chapter. But it, it really is a picture of how to show the truth to to tell the truth in love, which I think is um Ephesians 4:15, that what he is doing, you know, in all of this that we've navigated, you know, from five to eight is is extremely loving, loving. He is dealing with very difficult people. He's teaching, he's showing us the highest level of tact and self-control and patience, you know, because if you really realize who he is, what he knew. And how he handled that, it's it's actually fairly glorious and amazing. And it gives us an example of how to deal with very difficult people that we face. Um, we, you know, we're not going to just tell people, hey, trust Jesus, and they just believe every time. Um, so we have to have a, a tenacity to be faithful and pointing them to Christ, continuing to ask them, who do they think Christ is? And when they say, you stupid Christian, I don't want to hear that, you know, we've got to be able to, to realize, hey, we once did that too. Um, and that the reason they're doing it is they're blinded by the God of this world. And um, we're praying for them. We're praying for the, that veil to be removed. And, um, and we're continuing to try to sow seeds where we can, because we know that it says, how can they hear unless they preach? And how can they preach unless they're sent? So we're asking God to give us the grace and the words and open the doors to preach the word of life that will continue bring conception to a new life, a new birth. And we're looking to have that. And, and, and even like a family, when they want to have a child and they conceive a child and they kind of, a couple months later, they find out, Hey, we're pregnant. And they work through that process. You know, it's a labor of love to, to get to that delivery. And, um, and so for someone to come to a point where they confess Jesus as Lord of their life, 
there is a lot that goes on on that journey. It's prayer that goes on. It's it's people um, not reacting to insults and ugly talk. They say sometimes that the people you hurt the most is the ones you love the most. We've probably said some of the ugliest things to our spouses and to our parents and to our brothers and sisters if we have, but we're still family. And we have these str strong bonds that because we went through those things. And um, and that's that's what we're we're dealing with. So, Shane, you want to finish up anything else you got going or thinking about? I don't have a whole lot, Dennis. Uh, it was a good message. A little bit distracted this morning. But... Yeah. The kids and all that. Did you get to hear a little bit of, a, of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was good stuff. I, I like what Mr. Wayne said about the, the, the two edged sword and. Yeah, it's almost like Jesus was coming here. You may have, you know, I'm not saying any of these, obviously they were uh, not saved, but you may have had some listening. I mean, it, it, we don't know, but that were kind of lukewarm. I mean, maybe they were for Jesus. Maybe they were for not. And I feel like when, when Jesus says this, I am uh, before Abraham, I, I am. It was almost like he's dropping that sword. He's, he's saying, look, this is what I am. You're either on this side or you're not. Yeah, that's good. Well, um, I'm going to try to pray. I'm going to pray. That, I'm going to close this in prayer this morning. And I'm going to pray, I guess, these four key words over, you know, over us that, that God will just kind of exalt that in our heart. And, um, you know, I, I think about that, that, that the, the builder of the house, does he build on the sand or does he build on the um, firm foundation on the rock? And, um, and I, I think these truths, they, they seem uh, simple um, to the human logic. But um, but I think they're they're actually stones of a firm foundation, and so we'll 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 pray that as we get out of here. Um, dear Lord, I just um left up this word honor to you this morning, and we just confess that we see that you were not a arrogant um person that was just trying to bring credit to yourself, but that you were bringing credit to 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 God. I, I guess I'm saying that wrong, but. But as, as a messenger in the flesh, you were given glory to the Father in heaven. You were not trying to honor, glorify your flesh. So, Lord, as we think about honor, as we look, we lay down our honor. We're not looking to glorify ourselves when we're ministering to other people. When we're point, we're trying to honor you. We're trying to point them to you. And so, Lord, I just ask you, as we think about honor and glory, that we're not we're not more concerned about people giving us honor than we, we want your honor. We want your well done and my good, good and faithful servant. We care more about what you think about us than anybody else in the world. They can insult us. They can say, uh, call us bad names. But as long as we know that we are loved by you, we, we just we could care less about anything that they have to say. And we realize that where they come from, if they're under the influence of of the God of this world and if the veil, if the God of this world has blinded their eyes and they're building on a foundation of lies. Lord, we realize that there's a lot at stake eternally for them, that they will go and perish for all of life. And we don't want that for them. So, Lord, I ask you as we get open doors for us, that as we honor and bring glory to you, that other people would see that light and they would step out of the darkness and step into the light and stop building on lies and start building on truth. And so, Lord, 
as we think of this second word, the word death, we realize that Abraham did die, but but you you see Lazarus did die, but you see that as sleeping. And so, Lord, we recognize that this life is not all that there is, that there is a day of coming where we will step into eternity. And the people we know in our life, at our workplaces, at church this morning with our family, we're in, we are engaging with people that one day their their day would come and they will step into eternity. And Lord, you've given us a promise that if we abide in your word, we will not taste that eternal death. Um, that, that if we're born again, if we're born twice, we will only die once, that we will not perish in all of eternity. And so, Lord, give us a heart to understand that realization of, of, of what's at stake. And let us not just play games when we're talking and interacting with people that we would have a fire in our heart, that we would realize what is most important, what is the serious matters of this life. And Lord, when we come to know, we just ask you that none of us would be like this audience that was so easily offended by the words you have to, you had to say and had no place in their heart. Lord, we want to know you. We don't ever want when you look at our lives for you to see us following the God of this world more than you. Lord, let us be that people that really, truly know you. People that know you in a way that we will surrender our life to your control because you steer the ship better than we could ever steer it, that we know that your wisdom surpasses all knowledge that we could ever obtain. And we confidently yield to you to be the good shepherd for us and to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. And Lord, this last word, time, it just speaks to how big you are. These these situations with you knowing about Abraham, as as we talked about this morning, I know in some way when the when your word says that the gospel was shared to 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 Abraham, in some way when he was sacrificing, um, was willing to sacrifice Isaac, and you 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 stopped him, and and there was a lamb caught in a thicket. In some way, you were showing the gospel in such a tangible and real way that. 2,000, 4,000 years ago from now, but 2,000 years ago from this story that we're reading, Abraham seen what you was going to do at the cross and you you glorified in it. And so when Christ, when, when, when your word is telling us at this last part about time that 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 Abraham saw your day and he rejoiced in it. That, that, that in some way in time beyond our understanding that what happened with Isaac and the lamb in the thicket and what happened at the cross was joined in some kind of way in the way you navigated with Abraham. And, and whether it's that story or the, or the water and the wine, we realize that time is nothing in your hand. You never run out of time. You never have like this meeting, we're running out of time, but, but, but you, you never run out of time. You know how to use the most out of every moment. So Lord, I ask you that you would help us not to, to forsake the time that's before us, that we would not have regret about how we spent our time, but that our time was stewarded well because you lead it and led and guided us through how to use our time. So Lord, we take these four words, we take this passage, we take this whole chapter, we take the whole book of John, and we ask you that you would help us 
better hide it in our heart, that you would make it a foundation that as we navigate through the days of our lives, we navigate through them better because we've we've ate of your word, we've fellowshiped with your word, we've pondered with your word, and your word has caused us to think about the things that really matter and not the, the frivolous things of this life. So Lord, we give this study to you this morning, we give you this time, and we ask you in the name of Jesus, to lead us and guide us in a way that only you can. Let it be known that you are the good shepherd of our lives and the and, and the results and the and the things that we have that are, are because of you. And that when someone asks us and says, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Or how did you know this? Or how did you know that? That Lord, all we can say is it's because God has moved in my life in a mighty way. He opened my eyes. He opened my ears. He's opened my heart. He's guided my step and he's went before me. And that that's all we can say. That's the only testimony we can say to explain it. And Lord, in that way, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the credit because it all belongs to you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Amen. gentlemen. If y'all need anything, let me know. Have fun out there at the False River, Mr. Mike. <laughs> See you guys. Appreciate you, Shane. Mr. Mike. Love you all.